This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition of the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a program dedicated to take, taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions and questions about stuff going on in your life. Hey, let me just throw this out there. I'm, I apologize for being off the air for the last three days, but we have had technical difficulties, and I mean technical difficulties, and today we didn't know for sure. We've got new equipment here, so we would appreciate it if you would let us know if we're coming through loud and clear and everything is as it's supposed to be, but I'll tell you, I'm really happy to be back on the program. If you have a question for us, you can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, it's good to be back, so let's get right to some questions that have been sent in. Our first one is from Richard from our email inbox, and he says, Was the death of Jesus Christ on the cross limited atonement or unlimited atonement? Um, Richard, the question you're asking is, is Calvinism uh, true or, or is it not true? Uh, the death of Jesus Christ was unlimited atonement. But here is the catch. It is a free gift that was given to the world. But in order for that gift to be uh, to, to be uh, effective for everybody, uh, the people have to receive it. So the Calvinist position is that Jesus died only for the elect or only for those who are chosen by God. Uh, we know that's not true. The Bible says very clearly, and there's no other way, uh, unless you're trying to prove a point, there's no way that you can um, deny that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed would not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, limited atonement, of course, is, well, he only died for those he chose or he only died for those who are going to, to be his. Um, the theological term, Richard, is that Jesus's Christ Jesus's death on the cross was efficacious for all but it's only efficient for those who are born again those who choose him back we're chosen by God before the beginning of time that doesn't mean God says you go to heaven you go to hell it means that God knows Romans 8:29 1 Peter chapter 1 God knows those who are his he sets his love upon us. That's, that's Romans 8.29. He will not change his mind because he knows that we're eventually going to come back and ask him to be the Lord of our lives. So his death was sufficient, adequate, efficacious for all. But it's only effective for those who ask Jesus into their heart. Except a man or a woman be born again, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. But Richard, be really careful. And with the internet, there's a lot of people you can listen to, uh, some of who are really good teachers, except on this one issue. Um, the idea of, of uh, limited atonement is, to me, the most heinous, the most insidious uh, of all of the five tenets of Calvinism. So unlimited atonement but it is a gift that has to be received. 
Thank you, Richard. Good question. Here is the other question, another question that we had sent in. This one is from Dewey. Um, hello, Pastor Ron. I'm finishing up the book of Mark. What is the point of this book, and what is the writer conveying to us as the reader? In this book, can you explain this verse by the time frame this is supposed to happen, or has it happened already? Now, I'm going to read the verse he's talking about, because it's Mark chapter 13, verse 20. And Jesus is in the middle of the Olivet Discourse, and he's saying, um, If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he, God, has shortened them. Now, um, Dewey, if you lose the context here, then you can really get into some weird stuff. And I've seen a lot of it uh, out there, just people that don't understand. He is talking in the Olivet Discourse about the time that we know as the Great Tribulation. Um, In the previous verse, Mark chapter um, 13, verse 19, he says, Because those days of distress, unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. So that's what he's talking about. The time of Jacob's distress is an Old Testament term for it. Again, we would call it the Great Tribulation. And here's what he's saying. If if things are going to be so bad in those days that if God didn't intervene, then no one would survive. The whole world would have been destroyed. Now, we know from Revelation chapter 19 how God is going to intervene. He is going to come with us and he's going to destroy his enemies. But this is a a very Jewish context. This is going to be what happens in Israel. That's the Olivet Discourse. It is also uh, given to us in Matthew 24 and part of 25. It's given to us also in Luke chapter 21. Uh, These are synoptic gospels and uh, they, they deal with the same thing. But please don't ever get confused that there's anything like this happening now. When this begins, Dewey, we are going to be gone. We're going to be out of here um, uh, by virtue of the rapture. So let me also answer your other questions here. We've got a couple of phone calls holding. I'll get to you guys as soon as I possibly can. Um, He also says, I'd like to get your perspective and thoughts on these questions from your viewpoint as a follower of the Christian faith. What is considered the core competency of being a follower of Jesus Christ? What is imperative to be a committed follower of the faith? And what do you have to give up gaining eternity with Jesus Christ? Um, Dewey, the questions are a little bit vague, but I'll do the best that I can. Um, The core competency of being a follower of Jesus Christ is simply accepting Jesus by faith. We are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor. By faith, that's the vehicle that allows us to to recognize Jesus, repent of our sin, and ask him into our heart. And if you mean by core competency, that's the one thing that is is, uh, inescapable. We must be, Jesus said to Nicodemus twice, born again. To be a committed follower of the faith, Jesus answered that question for us as well. He said, "To, to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross, it's an instrument of death, and follow me. So that's the imperative. We're told to believe, to receive, and then to follow Jesus. And in order to give up, or or what do you have to give up um, to gain eternity in Jesus Christ? You really don't give up anything. You give up your rights. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, We're not our own, we're bought with a price. Jesus said that if you find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose it for me, you will find it. And uh, not only do we gain eternity with Jesus, do we, but but we gain so much in this world as well. You know, uh, this month is my 30th birthday as a Christian. And the things that I gave up in this world, the, the, the pursuit of money and success and creature comforts, you know, all the things that we're told that we really need to em- em- embrace, um, the, the the reality has been that I, I, I sacrifice so little and gain so much that there's really not anything at all that we have to worry about. Dewey, thank you. Good question. appreciate it very, very much. Okay, let's go to Ron on line one from Converse. Ron, thanks for holding her on the air. Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Good afternoon. 
It's good to hear from you, and thanks for uh, telling us. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to be with you as soon as possible. I don't care how long you take. It's it's always a blessing to hear. <laughs> thanks, your, Ron. Your everything. Yes, sir. I spoke, you're welcome. I spoke on a similar topic about two weeks ago to you and um, about Jesus Christ and and the three days that, that, that followed his death on the cross when he said, it is done. Now, I'm working with somebody right now. Um, I tell you, he had a minister that believed that, that uh, Christ went into the, the pits of the earth, into hell for three days, and now he, he had that for years, and now he, he has disavowed that. Mm-hmm. He's changed that. And now, I was also talking about Catholics. Uh, my friend fully believes that um, you can be a Catholic on one hand, and have Jesus Christ on the other, and have eternal life in heaven. He seems to think that um, once you receive Jesus Christ, even if you are a Catholic, um, you you have eternal life. And that, um, to me, I don't know. It almost seems uh, with all the idol idols that that go on with in Catholicism, despite their their good intentions, um, I don't I don't believe you see that. I don't. I believe I don't see that. I just needed to hear from you again because some, um, I'm 62 and I'm I've got a 24 year old daughter that keeps me young at heart. Um, <laughs> sometimes I, I I wrestle a little bit. I took about 12, 14 years ago. I took a massive, massive dose of um, radiation into my neck to take out a tumor, and I give all the glory to God because uh, they couldn't do it, and then they had to double the dose, and um, mm. it, it has lingering effects here and there on me and it's um, most of the time i'm okay uh, they took out my my thyroid gland but um that's another story so sometimes things are a bit of a challenge even even with um understanding fully i know where my heart already is i just needed to hear from you because he is so certain that um you can be a catholic and you can um you can have um eternal life despite the fact you you pray to the Virgin Mary, and you have apostles and statues, and and it's a. I know it's it's a it's sometimes it's a gut wrenching uh, topic, but once again, I just I needed to hear from you. Pastor Thank Ron. you, Ron. I, I can do that, and, and um, uh, pray for your friends. Um, those are, these are really difficult questions. Um, let me first say that um, when you're born again, and and only born again Christians are going to heaven. Uh, that that's clear. Jesus made it clear uh, repeatedly. Um, um, and, and when you're born again, the Holy Spirit, whose job is to point you to Christ, comes in you. And we're told that he's a spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth. Um, having said that, I know a few Catholics who are genuinely born again. God has a remnant everywhere. Uh, read the letter in Revelation uh, chapter 3, Ron, to Thyatira. Thyatira represents the, um, uh, the, the, the Catholic age or the Catholic epoch of the church uh, for 2,000 years. Um, th- there are some Catholics who are going to be saved, but they are men and women who have been born again. Now, here's the real problem with the Catholic church. It's really hard to be a Christian a real Christian born again and be a Catholic because the Catholic Church doesn't teach that you need to be born again. They believe that you're born again um, at the uh, at, when you're christened as a, as a baby, when you're, you're, uh, you're sealed there in the church by the church. And the Catholic Church has no power to save. Um, the Catholic Church is heretical in so many ways. Now, what they have right, Ron, is the right Father, the right Son, Jesus, and the right Holy Spirit. So um, somebody can naively believe rightly in the Father, Son, and Spirit, our triune God, and at the same time be wrong in a lot of other things. God knows the truth, and uh, he knows their hearts. Now, here's my problem. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth, then he would convict them of praying to Mary or praying to the the apostles or praying to other saints. Uh, He would convict them of idol worship. Um, um, so, um, only God knows, but, but there is a remnant according to Jesus's letter to the church at Thyatira and, uh, and no doubt I've, I've met 
oh, I'm guessing four or five. Uh, one I'm not quite sure about, but I think so. Uh, four or five Catholics in, in my time as a Christian who I really believe to be saved. Uh, interesting story, Ron. I was playing in a golf tournament before I lost my, my vision. Uh, I was able to play golf, and I was pretty good for a while. And I was playing in tournament, and one of the guys that I was paired with, um, you know, at the beginning you show everybody your golf ball so you can see what kind of mark you have on it. And his golf ball was marked with the Christian fish symbol. And I said, praise the Lord, you're a believer, a brother. And and uh, and he said, yeah, and we just started talking. Well, over the course of 18 holes, uh, we found out that, that he, I found out he was a Catholic. And in talking to him about it, I was asking probing questions. And uh, clearly, uh, his name was Ray. Clearly, he was a, a man who loved Jesus with all of his heart, shared Jesus everywhere he went. Uh, I didn't know him well enough to ask, well, why are you still in the Catholic Church? Uh, but um, um, back then he actually listened to my radio programs. Not this one because it wasn't on the air yet, but but some of the other programs. And um, um, so, yeah, there are some Catholics, but the man who says, well, I'm, I'm a pray to Mary because it's a habit. That's repetitious, vain prayer. Um, so pray for your friend, Ron. That's the hardest thing. Um, just pray for him. Um, tell him to read John chapter 3. Jesus told the most religious man in Israel he must be born again. And when um, um, you pray for him, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to chase him. Thank you, Ron. And I so appreciate your heart uh, for people um, that you really care about. That's that's very Christ-like of you. 340-9585. Let's go to our friend Reuben online too. Reuben, thanks for holding. You've been holding for a while. Uh, no problem. Like the gentleman before me said, I'd wait forever to talk to you. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you. First of all, I want to thank you and your and your wife and your church and everyone that listens uh, for the prayers for my family uh, over the past couple of weeks uh, with the death of my my father, my stepfather, mm-hmm. um, and my my two of my cousins. I I didn't get to tell you about two of my cousins, but. Uh, I want to thank y'all for that. Uh, it's really helping. Um, now, um, I have two questions. One that doesn't have any... Well, one has to do with the death in my family. The other one is just a personal one for me that I'm trying to understand. My brother, Mark, is listening. I got him to listen. He's he's not saved. Um, he is wondering, and can you help me explain... He he says, "Why is God punishing, you know, punishing us?" And and I told him, I said, "Bro, he's not punishing us." And then he said, "Well, why why did he take Michael? Why did he take my father? Why why did he take our cousins?" And I and you know, I'm just like, what what do I tell him? You know, I'm just like, and it was his will. He goes, "Well, explain his explain when you say it's his will, explain that to me." And and unfortunately, I couldn't. I mean, because. I'm under the same umbrella right now, you know. Um, although I don't, I don't blame God for anything, you know. The loss in my family, the six family members that that have passed on, I don't blame him for that. I, I just don't. I thank him for the for the strength that he's given me to endure the hurt and the pain. These past what nine months, eight months have been something totally different in my life that I've never experienced, but never will I ever blame God for that. But my brother's in that mind frame. So if you could mm-hmm. explain that and then, um, okay. And then, um, my, my, my question is, um, I believe it's in Corinthians. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Scripture that says, and I'm, this is not verbatim. It says, uh, if we are in Christ, every, uh, the dead is gone. Everything hereby, everything is made new. You know what I'm mm-hmm. talking about, correct? Second okay. Corinthians five seventeen. Okay, I was, okay. Now, is that's talking about spiritually, right? Not, I mean, obviously, right? Spiritually, mm-hmm. and I'm, if it, if it is spiritual, then why do we still battle with temptations and things that mm-hmm. aren't? right for us. And I'm going to listen because uh, I don't have my radio on. 
Okay, thank you, uh, Ruben. I, I can do that. Let me deal with the second question first, just because it's it's a little easier and less a little less complicated. When when we're told, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And there's an exclamation point in the new has come. That's a really really good thing. Now, what's new is we are. Uh, the Apostle Paul, writing to church at Rome, he said, When I sin, I find this law at work. It's not me who sins, but sin living in me. And Reuben, though we're saved and though we're washed clean, our standing before God is perfect, but that's only positional because while we're still on this earth, we have to, to, to fight, we have to resist our flesh um, you know, we're still in these old flesh and blood bodies that that uh, we still have a sin nature. What we have been given is the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome that sin nature. So in other words, we still sin. Um, there's nobody who's going to be perfect in this uh, world, not until we're with Jesus and that sin nature is completely removed. But as long as we have the sin nature, um, we're going to occasionally fall into sin. And we do that because our flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And there are just times when we do that. So we struggle our battle with the flesh. In Romans chapter 7, Reuben Paul talks about his personal struggle. What I want to do, I can't do. What I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? And he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. So, so that's the struggle that we all have. Now, 1 Corinthians 10.13, and we've talked about this verse in the past, Reuben, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He won't let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, and when we are tempted, he'll always provide a way out so that we can stand up, and the idea is to, to stand up overcoming the temptation. So we're still going to struggle with sin. There's still an enemy in this world who is always trying to pound us, Reuben, Reuben. And, um, and 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 the truthful answer has to include the fact that there's a whole bunch of us that are closer to our temptations. I'm talking about real Christians. We're closer to our temptations than we are to Jesus. And that's the the flesh is always going to win there. So that's why the struggle. Positionally, we're perfect before God. But practically, we're working out our salvation. And by the way, that theological term, Reuben, for that is sanctification. Sanctification is the process day by day of being made more like Jesus. So uh, if you've been walking with Jesus today, you're more like him than you were yesterday. So that's the, the first one. The second one, and, and I may pick this up on the other side of the break a little bit as well, Reuben. Um, God's not punishing anybody. Um, bad things happen. You know, your brother, and this is a good question to ask him, said, you know, there's been 400,000 people who have died with COVID, not all of them from COVID, but with COVID. Um, how, how come you didn't complain about God punishing them? You see, our focus gets so personal, so selfish when when th- bad things happen to us. It's why, do, why does God let anything bad happen? And sometimes it feels like we ought to let... Um, um, or God will let us live in this little bubble protecting us from all bad. But here's the, the really pointed response to your brother. And you got to say this in love, but you got to say, why should God protect you, bro? You don't love him. You don't care about him. You don't serve him. Why should God protect you? And I can tell you this, that when bad things happen, and you know they've happened to me, God's with us. Jesus, uh, in Luke chapter 13, they asked him, um, um, you know, um, somebody was was born in a bad situation, and and they asked him, was this man, uh, did he do anything to cause this problem? And he said, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam fell on them, or when the tower fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. And Jesus is simply saying, bad things happen in a fallen world. And because they happen in a fallen world, then there are going to be consequences. And the one thing else I would say to my brother, Reuben, if I was you, is say, you know, if you think this stuff is bad, Wait until you step into eternity without Jesus Christ. 
We don't have to defend bad things happen. Don't blame God for COVID. COVID came out of China. Don't blame God for that. Don't blame God for the flu. Don't blame God for cancer. We have to realize that we live in a world where bad things happen. Jesus has promised to be with us when they do. And finally, Reuben, when um, Jesus died on the cross, that was the most unfair thing, the most evil thing that's ever happened in this world. And God allowed that to happen to his own son. Good question, Truben. Thanks very much. We're praying for you. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday program again i'm thrilled to be back on the air you know we're sitting here we're all mic'd up we're ready to go and the connections have just been lost and we're hoping all this new equipment is going to work really, really well. Let's go to some questions while we wait any more phone calls for the program. William says, does God only hear our prayers when we say them out loud? Or can we pray silently? Um, William, God knows everything you're going to say, think, or do before you even know you're going to say, think, or do it. So, so you can pray out loud or you can pray silently. Now, let me just say, and this is personal. I do much better praying out loud because when I'm praying out loud, then uh, my mind doesn't seem to wander as much. You know, when we want to pray, the devil is always there. Uh, so so typically I will pray out loud. I mean, all alone, walking out in the streets, but, but just I want to keep my mind focused. And so that helps me. But God hears your prayers spoken and unspoken. Um. You know, the enemy can't read uh, your mind when you're talking with God. You're in fellowship with Jesus. Uh, We don't have to worry about the enemy hearing our prayers. So you can pray them silently. You can pray them out loud. Just keep praying, talking to Jesus. Please do. And William, learn to end every prayer. And you'll get to the point where you don't have to say it, but it's just part of your your walk with the Lord. Um, Where you can end every prayer with, Nevertheless, thy will, not my will be done. That's when you know you're praying in the perfect will of God. Good question. Regina says, I don't speak in tongues, and I've been told if I don't, I'm not saved. Um, Regina, that is the worst kind of spiritual abuse. Um, when when I got saved, and I, I did receive the gift of tongues very quickly, um, Paula had not yet given, been given the gift. And we went to a church, and and uh, they basically said the same thing. If you if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the spirit. And Jesus said, if you don't have the spirit, you're you're none of His. Uh, and and um, um, Paula, at the end of the service, went forward to receive the gift of tongues, and they 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 abused her. That's all I can say. They they abused her, trying to force her to do it. She finally faked it so she could get out of there. But but the enemy used that to just devastate her. Um, graciously, not too long after that, the Lord uh, gave her the gift. Um, just It was a matter of, of peace uh, in her mind and heart. Um, and uh, but, but, but Regina, don't listen to anybody. That's terrible teaching. It's, it's a charismatic teaching, um, not balanced, honest, charism- charismatic teaching. It's just bad teaching, and it's spiritually, abu- spiritually abusive. Not everyone speaks in tongues. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes that really, really clear. And um, um, just ask God for the gift. You know... Um, Regina, I did a, a retreat this weekend 
um, this past weekend we had an afterglow. And uh, um, uh, the Lord just put my heart. Anybody here want to receive gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of tongues? And almost everybody there stood up. You know, the truth is the, the gift of tongues doesn't make sense. Our mind is going crazy. We can't get our mind wrapped around the whole idea. The enemy is there to, to cause doubt. Um, but but it's a wonderful gift. And so what I would hope that you will do, Regina, is say, Lord, um, every gift you give is a good gift, so I want it. Don't wait for the Spirit to fall upon you and make you do something. You step out in faith. Every gift that God gives is received by faith. And if it sounds a little silly, who cares? It's just you and Jesus who loves you. But yes, the gift of tongues is a wonderful gift. Um, it's an edifying gift. It's I call it a vertical gift. It's between you and God. And it's something that all believers should want to have. 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line one. Cindy, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you today? Cindy, I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, now, last night, I, I, I think I was dreaming, but I was talking to myself in my dream, which I don't know if that makes sense or not, but, <laughs> but, but what the whole thing was about was about the, the, the wedding banquet, because that morning I, I'd been reading um, in Matthew about, about going to the banquet, to the wedding. Well, anyway, so what I'm kind of wondering is a couple things. One, when we're up there for that seven years, what are we going to be doing? I was thinking about what would we be doing up there waiting for, you know, the tribulation to get over and for the millennium to start. And I was thinking that maybe we would be learning about how we're going to conduct our lives when we come back to earth and get to find out all this other really cool stuff and and just be with Jesus. And then that led me into thinking, well, when's the wedding? And then I, and then like in my conversation I was having with myself, it, somebody, it was like somebody was saying, okay, well, the wedding's not for like another thousand years. So are we really going to wait a thousand years before we're officially married to Jesus? Because I was thinking that uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through probably about 4 or 5, the first few verses, is that the description of the wedding? So I'm going to leave that with you and, and turn my radio back on and, and listen to you. Thank Hi. you, Cindy. God bless you. Appreciate it. Um, a couple of things we need to remember. Um, the, the, the imagery in the wedding supper of the Lamb is very, very Jewish. Um, in a Jewish wedding, the feast lasted seven full days. Seven full days. Those Jews knew how to party. Uh, and then at the end, they would everybody would leave at the, the, the festival and go go about their business. So the wedding supper of the Lamb, the seven-year tribulation, um, is, is just a fulfilled picture of a Jewish wedding. Now, what are we going to be doing for seven years? That's the question, or one of the questions that you asked. Um, Cindy, this is, this is a, an important concept. We're stepping outside of time and space. We're stepping outside of time and space. So while we know it's seven years because we're still in time and space, once we go to uh, to heaven to the wedding supper of the Lamb, um, then, then we won't be aware of time. Not at all. And so um, what we'll be doing is we'll be celebrating our wedding to Jesus. Now, the wedding takes place at the rapture of the church. We'll go to be with him. That's the wedding banquet. You don't have to wait a thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, it's a completely different uh, uh, thing. So we, we, we celebrate our wedding to Jesus. Believe me, it will go like an instant. It won't be one of those things where we're going to be learning. It's not going to be like training for our role on earth after the rapture of the church uh, when, when the, the millennium starts. So um, it, it's just, it's just going to be a celebration. And while the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail about the celebration, the one thing that we know is it'll be wonderful. It'll be absolutely wonderful. So, no, you don't have to wait a thousand years. You don't have to worry about learning anything. This is simply going to be a celebration where we enjoy the fulfillment 
of every promise God has ever made. And I, I just, uh, thinking about it is overwhelming to me, Cindy. So it's just one of those things that we look forward to. And uh, we're, we're going to be happy, actually, that there are secrets that are going to be unveiled before our very eyes when we get to heaven. We're going to look at him and say, well, I never could have imagined. And he would say to us, well, that's what I told you. I'm able to do all that you can ask or imagine, more than all you can ask or imagine. And we're just going to shake our heads in awe that Jesus loves us. So the wedding supper of the Lamb happens at the rapture of the church, and it will take seven years. But we won't feel like it's seven years because we're always going to be outside of time and space. Hope that makes sense. Good question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR. Here is a question that was just called into the studio anonymously. What does it mean when somebody prays for you by binding spirits? What does it mean to be slain in the spirit? Well, anonymous, two things. Just by the question, I can tell that you're going to a very unhealthy, unbalanced church. Um, be really, really careful. Let me take the second question first. Um, there is no such thing in the Spirit as being slain in the Spirit. It is a uh, an aberrant, charismatic practice. Again, I want to emphasize, I am a charismatic. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But it's simply um, an aberrant practice. It, it, there's, there's no biblical basis for it whatsoever. Um, and it's it's something that needs to be avoided. People that go down, um, they do for one of three reasons. One, they're just prone to do it. Um, you know, they, they like the goosebumps and they want to get involved in something. The second reason is that it's the power of the enemy um, because he's at work in those kind of churches. Um, and the third thing is because it's not biblical it's just something that needs to be avoided. It is not healthy um, to be in a church that practices those things. Now, the other question, what does it mean when somebody prays for you by binding spirits? Uh, it demonstrates it, it, that they have no understanding at all of what Jesus said, what, whatever, what Jesus meant when he said, whatever you bind on earth uh, or whatever you loose on earth will be honored in heaven. Jesus wasn't talking at all about spirits. And what happens, Anonymous, is that people will say things like, I bind you, devil, in the name of Jesus Christ. And the devil just laughs. We have no power. Jesus is the one with the power. And when you're with Jesus, you don't want to talk to the enemy. And so this, again, is just more charismatic nonsense. We cannot bind spirits. We have no authority. Jesus has it all. Even Michael the archangel, the Bible says, was respectful when talking to the devil. The Lord rebuke you, he said, and Michael was the devil's equal in heaven. So, um, Anonymous, you're just in, it's, in a, it's an unhealthy church, and you, you just need to go find a church that teaches the Bible, not shouts and spits and sweats, but teaches the Bible. And you will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and of his will for your life. So um, it's meaningless when somebody prays for you by binding spirits. If you're being slain in the spirit or you're watching that happen, that is worse than meaningless. It's reckless. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it very, very much. Here's our next question. It is from Paul. He says, how can I improve my personal relationship with the Holy Spirit? Now, um, you know, Paul, I'm... um, let me answer up front. Just be with Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't care to have your relationship with him personalized. The Holy Spirit's mission is to testify of Jesus. So that's really important. Now, uh, Paul, what I do every day, I start my day the same way. Every day I say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. So I'm acknowledging 
Each of them have a separate role in my life. I'm acknowledging their distinction. I'm acknowledging that the fullness of their 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 power is God. But remember the way they work. Jesus said, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, the comforter, the counselor, he will testify of me. And so you don't have to really cozy up to the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. It can't get much more intimate than that. And if you are really... Um, in, in in relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you'll be talking to Jesus. Let me suggest this, Paul. A lot of us, we struggle with our, our prayers. You know, uh, um, dear Heavenly Father will say, um, um, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Um, the Father sent the Son to reveal who he was. The Son sent the Spirit to reveal who Jesus was. So what we need to do if we're really going to understand um, intimacy with God, we've got to get closer to Jesus. So while I acknowledge all three members of the Godhead in my prayers fairly regularly, not just in the morning, but fairly regularly, the way I know that they're active in my life is by being with Jesus. And when you just hang out with Jesus, when you walk with him, when you talk to him all day, every day, he becomes real. Jesus said he's our friend. Now, he's holy God, almighty God. So I'm not being trite or flippant in, in, in saying Jesus is my friend. He's my friend. He said that. I call you friends. And the only way that happens is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't have to give attention to the Holy Spirit, nor do we have to give attention to the Father. By hanging out with Jesus, we're bringing glory and honor to all three persons of the Godhead. Jesus revealed the Father. We have no concept of the Father who is spirit. But Jesus has revealed his character and his nature to us. And apart from the Holy Spirit, who will tell us about Jesus, we really can't get close to Jesus. So to improve your personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, just hang out with Jesus. It'll be a wonderful change in your life. Hope that makes sense. You know, Paul, sometimes people accuse me of saying, making things too simple. God had to make these things simple for simple people like me. But that is exactly, exactly what he wants us to do. Good question. From our email inbox from Michael. He says, not a question, just an amen. Well, thank you. At 9.30 p.m. Thursday night on February 4th on another radio station, great teaching. Thank you, Michael. I'm on at 9.30 uh, every evening um, on KDRY, 1100 a.m. But the same teaching, if you want to get a jump on it, is on KSLR, this station, at uh, 5 o'clock in the morning and also at 6 o'clock in the evening. So thank you for that. He said, I especially like the hearty endorsement of reading real books. I listen to Christian classics read by Lynn Brooks regularly. I'm really enjoying her reading of Holy War, an adapted version of John Bunyan's classic tale of man's soul and the battle for it between Emmanuel and Diabolos. Uh, I, not the same as turning pages, but does require the use of imagination. Your teaching is always a blessing. Michael, thank you so very, very much. I appreciate that. You know, one of the great things about reading is we're forced to use our imagination. Now, um, um, one of the tragedies, and I'm not being dramatic there, of my life, having lost my vision, um, is, is I can't read like I used to. I loved devouring books. Um, all the while devouring the Bible with even a greater hunger. So um, any any time you're reading Bunyan, uh, your imagination is going to just start flicking, and it's it's wonderful. So those are good things. C.S. Lewis uh, is another, especially the Screw Tape Letters, um, uh, Michael. If you if you have not read those, um, but but reading not only fiction, but non-fiction, biographies, um, as long as you're, again, reading the Bible. That's your primary source of reading. There's so much out there that is so good and so healthy. 
And uh, I think we would all benefit by a little less time on the phone and a little more time reading. Michael, God bless you. appreciate your kindness. Here is a question from Jeremy. He says, since the Catholic Church is the original church, why is it necessary to have so many other denominations? Jeremy, you haven't read history at all, have you? You know, the Catholic Church claims to be the original church, but the Catholic Church didn't even come into to, to, uh, being until the 4th century. Uh, 313, 314 A.D. That's hardly the original church. If you want to check out the original church, it's a book of Acts. First century church, they're the ones that God gave the blueprint to. They're the ones that established um, the rules and the regulations, the, 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 the way for the church to honor the Lord. Uh, that's the original church, and the Catholic Church certainly isn't the original church. I know they sell that to Catholics, but that is uh, um, to truly neglect um, the historical context. Um, not only is the Catholic Church not the original church, it is a church that has for its entire history, the entire history, been aberrant in its doctrinal teachings. So that's why it's necessary to have so many other denominations. You know, we, with the question that we had that Ron called about in the first half of the program, um, it's not just the Catholic Church is aberrant. The, the, the Orthodox churches, which are very, very old, much older than American evangelicalism for sure, um, um, they're aberrant in so much of their teaching. Now, they're born-again Orthodox believers as well. But, Jeremy, you, you, your, your information, your facts are wrong. Don't believe. Be a Berean. Don't believe what everybody says to you. Check it out for yourself. Open your Bible and let what Jesus wanted the first century church to be be a real blessing to you. By the way, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42 through the end of the chapter, is the blueprint for how churches ought to work, then and now. Here's Anonymous. Why doesn't God give the gift of healing to everyone instead of, a just, a, instead of just a few anointed men and women? Uh, Anonymous, there's another misunderstanding because God doesn't give the gift of healing to people who claim to heal. The gift of healing is given to the person who is healed. If you look in 1 Corinthians, the list, the gift is plural. It's gifts of healing. And what we've done as humans is, is we've try to elevate and some women who claim to have these uh, majestic healing powers, Catherine Coleman and her protege, Benny Hinn, and so many others who knock people down and, and pronounce their healing. It's just all nonsense. That's not the way God works. So when God gives the gift of healing, it's given to somebody who is sick and needs it. And of course, that happens to multiple people. So the gift of healing is not promised, it's not guaranteed. Um, often it's not even a matter of faith. I've known rank unbelievers who were healed by God. God simply showing them that, that this is who I am and I love you. Uh, some um, got converted as a result, others just continued their rebellion against God. But the gift of healing, again, the way it's misrepresented in the Western church, um, is is a real tragedy, Anonymous. Uh, God gives gifts of healing. You know, I've always wanted to, to uh, especially with children. Uh, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm in hospitals a lot. And, and I've always just dreamed, and I pray and I ask, believe me, every time I'm there. Uh, but Lord, let me just walk down the aisle. I'll pray for the people in the room. They don't even have to see me, but Lord, just just heal people. Uh, if there was a man or a woman with the gift of healing, that's the kind of things that God would do. It's what Jesus did. Everybody that came to him got healed. Unfortunately, we act like God owes us healing and we'll give a whole bunch of our money to these charlatans, these false teachers who claim to have the gift of healing or the anointing of healing and that's simply not the case. So, Hope that makes sense to you. One last question. 
This one is from Martin. Pastor Ron, is the pandemic a sign of the end times? Well, Martin, we know that that it could be a sign, the beginning of birth pains. Um, not this pandemic. This pandemic was a man-made thing. Um, um, Bible said, Jesus said, at the end there will be pestilences and and uh, other other phenomena. Um, but but he's talking in that context of the great tribulation when when certainly that's going to be the case. This pandemic is 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 not a sign of anything from God. God didn't send it. He he's uh, not controlling it. He is um, brokenhearted because of it, because so many are dying apart from Jesus Christ. Um, but don't blame him for it. Don't blame him for it. God is going to use, or God is using, I shouldn't say going to use, God is using this pandemic to shake up and shake out his church. Shake up, it ought to make us think but he's really using it to shake out. Romans eight twenty eight. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Problem is that there's a whole bunch of lukewarm, non-committed Christians who really don't know what it really means to be a committed believer. That, too, is a sign of the end times. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm really thrilled to be able to be back on the air with you today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. May God richly bless you and keep you. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.